Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. I hate to say this, but that's brutal. I had to cut that one short. And part of me is glad that there are no more state songs to play this season. Because I don't think I can handle it anymore. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 190, Oregon Turkey Hunt. And I am your host and the guy who has caught his first fish of 2018. Yep, so that's pretty big news in my world. The other piece of big news that I have is that we are 274 days, 23 hours, 40 minutes, and zero seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. So my buddy Todd and I went down to my property south of Birmingham, to do a little farming and a little work on my boat and hopefully a little fishing. And actually, when we pulled down the hill to drive past the lake to get to my property, we saw that the bass had the shad cornered in the lake. And we stopped the truck. We got out. First cast, first fish for both of us. We fished around there for a little while longer, caught a couple more fish, rode around to my property. I put Todd on the tractor to disc my fields up again for me, and I went down to work on my boat in the boathouse. So I pulled the carburetor off my boat, and I also ended up pulling the trolling motor off of my boat as well because my trolling motor was not working. And so I have now ordered a new lower motor assembly for my trolling motor, and hopefully it'll be in before the weekend. Otherwise, I'll be destined to hit the water in the boat paddling again. So Todd and I caught probably four or five fish each Sunday morning, and 
we got my field planted. We got some milo down, some lime, fertilizer. Now all I need is some rain. And I don't think we've gotten any rain down there since I planted. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it happens sometime soon. Otherwise, the peacock that's hanging out down there may end up eating all of my milo before it gets a chance to sprout. Today I've got a pretty cool show for you guys. So I want to talk about my trip to Oregon, which, as you know, was kind of a spur-of-the-moment trip. It was added on to our trip to Washington and Idaho because we were able to kill in those two states so quickly. So prior to getting to Washington, I had done basically no research at all on hunting in Oregon. And fortunately for us, Tuesday afternoon, Brian and I were able to stay at the lodge in Washington and do some research online along with getting some information from Joe, our guide there in Washington, who had hunted in Oregon before and he pointed us to an area that he'd hunted in the past and had some success. And I found us a place on Airbnb to stay in a little town that was about 15 steps from the National Forest land that we were going to hunt. So where I left you guys last week was that we were sleeping in Wednesday morning, going to wake up, load the trucks with all of our gear, and head south to Oregon, which we did. So on the way to Oregon, Brian and I are riding together in the truck. Now on the way to Oregon, I called the state biologist to see if he could kind of point me in the direction of where some turkeys might be in that particular national forest that we were hunting. Well, he actually pointed me in a couple of directions. One direction was that he gave me the names and telephone number of the local ODFW office, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife office, in the little town that we were staying in. And he said, these guys know everything that there is to know about the turkeys on that piece of national forest, that they work that area. And so they'll know where the birds are, what they're doing, and they should be able to help you out. And then he said, now, and this is the second direction that he sent me. He said, now I'm going to give you the name and telephone number of someone who called us back in the winter because he was having a problem with turkeys on his property. They were on his farm and they were eating his pig feed before his pigs could get it. And that he wanted the turkeys gone. The biologist proceeded to tell me that ODFW never got a chance to get to this farmer's property to trap the turkeys to get them out of there. And because of that, he thought that this farmer may be willing to let us hunt his property to help get rid of some of those turkeys. And he said, now, I don't know if there's still turkeys on that property or not, but there obviously were turkeys there over the winter. And if they've got a food source like pig feed, they probably are still there. So like I said, he gave me the name and telephone number of the farmer, and I called the farmer. All right, now, I got to set the tone here for this part of the story because, well, really it should have some intro music. And the intro music to this part of the story should sound a little bit like this.
So I call the phone number of this farmer and I get his voicemail and his voicemail says, hey, this is John Doe. I am going to be out of town this week. However, if you need to reach me, you can call me at 555-123-4567. Thank you very much. So I don't leave a message and I call the number that he gave in his voicemail on his cell phone. And when I call that number, I get an answering machine. And so I leave a message on the answering machine that says something like, Hey, John Doe, this is Andy Galliano. I am calling from Birmingham, Alabama. Actually, I live in Birmingham, Alabama, but I'm calling from somewhere in Idaho. And my buddies and I are headed to Northeast Oregon for some turkey hunting. And I was given your name and telephone number by Mr. Wildlife Biologist because he said that you'd called over the winter and were having some problems with some wild turkeys on your farm. And my buddies and I would like to see if you would give us permission to hunt your property. So if you don't mind giving me a call back, you can reach me at 205-555-1234. And I end the call. So I don't think much else about it. We're riding down the road. I'm continuing to make phone calls. I'm trying to get in touch with the biologist there in the local ODFW in the town that we're going to be staying in, and I can't reach them. So not a big deal. We get to the cabin. We unload our stuff. And while we're unloading our gear from the truck and getting settled into the cabin, putting up groceries and things like that, I look over on the counter in the kitchen And there's an answering machine sitting over there that's blinking. And I walk over to the answering machine and I thought, well, maybe the owner has left us a message knowing that we're going to be checking in today. So I press play on the answering machine. And the first message is some young girl going, hey, people, this is so and so. I was just calling to say thank you for the birthday present, blah, 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 blah. Click. Well, I can tell you, Peepaw never got that message (laughs) because it got deleted. Sorry, Peepaw. The second message that was on the answering machine was this. Hey, John Doe, this is Andy Galliano. I am calling from Birmingham, Alabama. Actually, I live in Birmingham, Alabama, but I'm calling from somewhere in Idaho. And my buddies and I are headed to northeast Oregon for some turkey hunting. And I was given your name and telephone number by Mr. Wildlife Biologist because he said that you'd called over the winter and were having some problems with some wild turkeys on your farm. And my buddies and I would like to see if you would give us permission to hunt your property. So if you don't mind giving me a call back, you can reach me at 205-555-1234. So I looked at Brian, Brian looked at me, and I said, that was just me on the answering machine. And he said, yeah. I said, that was the message that I left for John Doe, the pig farmer. And he said, yeah. And I thought, well, there's not a phone number listed on Airbnb for this cabin. So there's no way I got the phone number for this cabin mixed up with John Doe, the pig farmer's telephone number. So I called that number again that John Doe, the pig farmer, left on his cell phone 
where he said he was going to be out of town, but if it was important, he could be reached at the 555-1234567 number. So I call 555-1234567, and the phone in the cabin rings. And I look at Brian, and Brian looks at me, and you can tell at that point in time that we're both thinking... Okay, so that part of the story doesn't really <laughs> doesn't really matter because that's really the end of it, except for when the person that I'd been communicating with about the cabin shows up to greet us. He tells us that John Doe, the pig farmer, actually owns the cabin that we're staying in and that he was there earlier in the week. How strange is that? Because John Doe, the pig farmer's farm, where he works and lives, is about 45 minutes away from where we're staying. So it really was kind of a crazy story and a little bit of a Twilight Zone few minutes there. The only reason I even threw that into the story is because it was very Twilight Zone-ish. And it gave me the opportunity to play the Twilight Zone theme song on this show, which I've never had the opportunity to do before and probably never will. So I thought, hey, what the heck? Okay, so moving on with the story of the hunt. After Brian and I get everything unloaded there at the cabin, we drive into town to get our hunting licenses. Chip and John had already gone into town to get their hunting license. The town that we had to buy a license in was about an hour away from where we were staying. Now, only about a 40-mile drive, but it was an hour-long drive to get there because the roads are so windy and hilly. So we met John and Chip in town. We got our licenses, and we headed back to the cabin. When we got to the cabin, Chip and John got their stuff unloaded, and we put together a game plan. And the game plan was that we were going to drive into this national forest into the same general area. And about five miles up the main road into the national forest, the road splits. And the, the road to the right is the high road that runs up and along the ridge of this mountain. The road to the left is the middle road. And that's the road that Brian and I decided to go on. Chip and John were going to take the high road. We were taking the middle road. So we drive up together. We split off. John and Chip go to the right. Brian and I go to the left. Brian and I stop and call every so often, and we hear nothing. We don't see any turkey tracks. We don't see any turkey feathers. We don't hear any turkeys, and really it didn't look very promising at all. Now, as far as being scenic, this is one of the prettiest places we've ever hunted. It was absolutely gorgeous, amazing terrain, and just the landscape is just I just don't even know the words to describe it. I mean, it really was what I think is a one-of-a-kind place on this earth. But the turkeys, I don't think, thought so because they were not around this area at all. So as we're driving around this middle road, stopping and looking for turkeys and calling for turkeys, we notice on the OnX app that there's about a thousand acres of private land in the middle of this national forest. And this middle road runs through this private land that's in the middle of the National Forest. So as we're driving through, we see all this pasture land with cows in it. And we thought, man, there has got to be turkeys out here. This just looks like turkey country. So as we continued driving, we drove past the 
owner of this property's house. And Brian and I decided to stop and just ask him if he's been seeing any turkeys and just chit-chat with him and maybe even ask him if he minds if we hunt his property. So as we're pulling in to his driveway, he's pulling out and he's got a huge smile on his face. So we thought, hey, what do we have to lose? This guy's happy. Maybe he can make us happy. (laughs) So we start talking to him. We tell him we're from Alabama and that we're there turkey hunting and blah, blah, blah. And so he had his wife with him and he looks at his wife and he says, honey, take the truck. I'm going to go back to the house with these guys and I want to show them the trophy room in the house. So he said, do you guys have time? So we said, sure. So we followed this gentleman into his house. Now, he's never met us before, obviously, never talked to us before, obviously, but he's just invited us into his house, and he's got some amazing mounts in his house. Two mountain lions, a black bear, mule deer, elk, a badger, all in one big mount that's up in a loft area inside his log cabin house. I mean, this is pretty impressive stuff. That's not something that he had put together in a season. And so we talked about that mount and how cool it was for a while. And he showed us around his house, which is very cool. We went back outside, looked at his yard, and he's got California quail just running all over the place in his front yard and backyard as well. And so he says to us, well, I don't see the turkeys around here that I used to see in the past. I don't know what's happened. He said, but I used to buy about 10 or 12 tons of corn a year and feed the turkeys. And I used to have turkeys all over this place. But when I quit doing that a few years ago, I don't have the turkeys that I had back then. I rarely ever see turkeys out here. And he said, but hey, if you guys see any turkeys and you want to go after them on my place, you're more than welcome to. So after an hour of touring his property and his house and chit-chatting with him, we got permission to hunt his land. Now, we didn't know if there were turkeys on it or not, but it sure looked like good turkey habitat. One other thing that he had told us while we were talking to him is that his son comes and hunts with him every spring for turkeys. And he said, but my son generally kills a long beard out here every year. He just goes up to such and such ridge and hunts up there and he comes back with a long beard every year. Not a big deal. So we thought, well, that's probably where we need to go is to such and such ridge. Now, such and such ridge is about a thousand feet in elevation higher than where we are at that point in time. We'd also gotten a little intel from the manager of the cabin that we were staying in because he goes into the National Forest every day to look for mushrooms. And he said that he had not been seeing any turkeys down in the lower elevations, that he thought we needed to go higher, that the turkeys had moved higher. So we've now had two people tell us that higher elevations are probably where we need to be looking for turkeys. So we continue on around our loop. Now, This road, the high road and the middle road, they split off from one another, but then they go about 10, maybe 12 miles, and they intersect with one another again. All we were doing was riding, stopping, and calling, and we, when we would stop and call, we would look for tracks on the road or look for any feathers or any scat or anything like that. We saw nothing. 
we knew at some point that we would run into Chip and John because they were going to make the loop coming from the high road onto the middle road, and we were making the loop from the middle road to the high road. So at some point our paths should cross, and we can compare notes at that point and see what's going on. So sure enough, shortly after we leave the gentleman's place that gave us permission to hunt his property, we run into John and Chip, and they said they'd seen a few turkey tracks, but not the kind of turkeys we were looking for. They felt like they were hen tracks. Chip and John kept going the direction that we had just come from. Brian and I kept going the direction that Chip and John had just come from, circling back around, and it was starting to get dark. And we were hopeful that maybe we could hear something gobble on the roost, which never happened. So Brian and I met back up with Chip and John at the cabin. We ate dinner, kind of put together a rough game plan for Thursday morning. And the game plan was that we felt like we needed to be hunting higher elevations than where we were Wednesday afternoon. So Chip and John decided they would go to a completely different area after looking at the topo map on the Onyx app. They said, well, we'll go over. This place is about 20 miles away. And Brian and I decided that we would go to such and such ridge up to the higher elevation in hopes that we could find some birds up there. And that's exactly what we did. So when Dawn's crack showed, Brian and I were at such and such ridge at over 5,000 feet elevation. And we were listening for turkeys gobbling. We heard nothing. We would drive a little bit down the road, get out and call nothing. Drive a little ways, get out and call, nothing. We did this for about three and a half hours with no luck, no response at all. And we were both getting a little bit down, as you can imagine. So we're driving down the road and we got to a spot where we had some cell coverage, which was very rare in this area. So we stopped and I told Brian that I was calling the local ODFW office to see if the guys there could point us in the direction of some turkeys because they're out in this national forest every single day. They know this property like the back of their hand. They hear turkeys gobble and they can tell us where they see turkeys as well. So I call the office. It's about 8:30 in the morning and I get one of the guys on the phone and he says to me, where are you now? And I told him we were on such and such ridge. And he said, no, I think you're too high of an elevation. You guys need to come down a little bit lower. And I said, well, at what elevation do you think we need to be looking for birds? And he said, you need to check so-and-so bench. There's generally always turkeys there. He said, now we've been working in that area, putting up fencing, and we haven't heard any turkeys gobble. He said, usually, you know, when you're hammering in fence posts with all that banging that you can get turkeys to respond. He said, but we haven't heard a turkey gobble in a week. Well, that was certainly not encouraging news. So the next sentence out of his mouth was, have you guys tried to secure permission to hunt any private land? And I said, well, we've got permission to hunt some private land already, but the gentleman that owns the land has told us that there's really not any turkeys on his place anymore that he just doesn't see them like he used to. And so the guy with ODFW tells me, well, last year some guys came in from South Carolina and they were doing the same thing that you guys are doing, trying to kill a turkey in every state. And they hunted the National Forest for a day or so, but they ended up getting in touch with 
this guy named Travis, who is a farmer that lives not too far from the town that you're staying in. And he generally always has turkeys on his place. You should call him and see if he'll give you permission to hunt his place. He said, I'm not guaranteeing you that Travis will give you permission, but it's worth a shot. So I asked him for Travis's telephone number, and he gave me that. I said, thank you very much. I'll keep you updated on how things go with us. Really appreciate all the information. I hang up the phone and I call Travis, and Travis says to me, yeah, have at it. And I looked at Brian and I thought, wow, that was easy. I said, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your generosity in allowing us to come hunt your place. I said, but you don't know us. You've never met us. We don't know you. We don't know your land. We don't know what is okay, what's not okay, what's off limits for us as far as where we can hunt. We don't know your property boundaries. You know, I'd love to come and meet you and talk to you and let you kind of show us what's kosher and what's not kosher for us to do. He said, yeah, that'd be great. Come on. So he gave me his address. And he said, now, I'm going to be leaving my house in about an hour and a half. I've got to take a trailer over to my neighbor's house. And today is my son's birthday. And we're going into the city to celebrate his birthday. And I said, all right, Travis, I said, the problem with that is that we're about an hour and a half away from your place right now. I said, but I'm going to hang up the phone. We're going to head your direction right now and we will be there as soon as we can get there he said all right i look forward to seeing you soon i hang up the phone brian looks at me and he says you better put your seatbelt on because i'm about to get you to this guy's house in record time we're about 15 miles deep into this national forest it's all gravel roads it is very hilly we're at about probably 51 or 5200 feet elevation We have to leave the forest, go past the cabin that we're staying at, which is at 1,500 feet elevation, drive up a different mountain to get to Travis's farm, and I'm figuring, best case, we're an hour and 15 minutes away. Best case. So here we go. Brian is flying down these roads. (laughs) We got to Travis's house in about 50 minutes. (laughs) We pull up there, and Travis comes out. Very, very nice guy. About maybe, I'm going to say, probably between 35 and 40 years old. We chat for a while. He's telling us all about his farm. And we're standing in his driveway talking. And he says, well, there's a turkey right there. So we look out past his barn, which is probably 100 yards from his house. And about 300 yards past his barn is a turkey out in one of his ag fields. Now, Travis is a farmer. He farms about 2,000 acres. This particular piece of property that we're standing on where his house is, is about eight or 900 acres. And it's a bench on this mountain that consists mainly of rolling hills with some draws in between the hills. And those draws have creeks in them. And from where his house sits, if you look to the north, the bench drops off and goes all the way down to the river, which is where our cabin is, that's at about 1,500 feet elevation. Travis's house is at about 3,500 feet elevation. So on this bench, it's nice. It's relatively flat, but it slopes going from the south down to the north. He's got grains planted 
on these hills that run north and south. And he's got some pasture land where he keeps about 40 to 50 head of cattle right there at his house as well. So we look out into one of his ag fields and there's a hen standing there. And he says, yeah, what happens is just past the barn, there's a draw there. And there's a creek that runs down through that draw. And those turkeys are just up and down that draw all day long. And they'll come out of the draw and up into the ag fields. And they'll feed and then they'll go back down in the draw. But mainly they use the draw as a travel route. So we're standing there chatting. And he says, there's another turkey right there. So I put my binoculars up and I look and I said, well, that's a male turkey right there, but I can't see a beard on him. And Travis says, hang on just a minute. So he goes inside his house and he comes out with a spotting scope on a tripod and he puts it down and we look and sure enough, it's a Jake and the Jake's off in a different part of the ag field from where the hen is. So Travis says, well, let's jump in the buggy and let me show you this farm right here and where I normally see turkeys and what they're doing when I see them. So we said, great. So we jump in the buggy with him and we ride on down just past his barn right before the hill drops off into the draw where he normally sees the turkeys and he stops and he says, okay, this draw in front of us is where I see turkeys most of the time. And he said, but I'm not going to drive down in there right now because I don't want to bust any turkeys out of there for you guys, especially if you're going to be hunting today down there. So we said, okay. He said, well, the turkeys usually roost south of the house up there on the hill in those trees that you see up there. And then they fly down into the fields and then they walk down into the draw and they spend time in that draw and they water and they get bugs and then they'll come up into the ag fields and they'll feed and he said they just kind of move through out this the ag fields and in and out of these draws all day long. So we said, well, that's good information. So we leave from that hill. We go back to his house and we're standing at his house and we're talking. And he says, well, there's another turkey right there. I said, well, that's two turkeys. And one of those turkeys is in full strut. So I put my binoculars up and I look and sure enough, there's a turkey strutting. He's got a full fan and I can see a beard on him. The other turkey was also a long beard. And then we saw the hen that was with him. So Travis says to us, well, I am going to take this trailer over to my neighbor's house. You guys go get after those turkeys. Just keep me updated on how it goes. We're going to be leaving after I take the trailer to my neighbor's. I wish you guys a lot of luck. We won't be back until dark. And he was gone. But before he left, he said to get to those turkeys right there. Here is what I recommend you do. Walk north away from the house, which is actually downhill towards the river. And he said, this hill over here, and he pointed to the west, and he said, that hill right there should provide you enough cover for you to be able to get off of the hill down into the draw where the turkeys like to hang out. When you get down in that draw, there's a road that runs north and south in that draw. Walk south on that road, and that road will bring you about 100 to 125 yards from where those turkeys are. And the turkeys are standing out in a fallow field, the hens feeding around, and the two gobblers, well, one of them's pretty well locked in strut, and the second one's strutting off and on. So we said, all right, well, we're going to get after them. And he said, I'm leaving you. See you later. And he said, good luck. 
We said thank you and off we went. Walking north away from the house, trying to keep that hill between us and the turkeys. And we did that for the most part, but every once in a while we could look back and we could see the turkeys out there, which actually was good. I don't like losing a visual on a turkey when I have one, but I know that if I've got a visual on that turkey, that turkey can have a visual on me. So I know that I've got to lose that visual at some point in time in order to get close enough to that turkey to make the deal happen. So Brian and I continue walking to the north. We're going downhill and we get to where there's a small draw that comes off of the hill that we're on and goes down into that bigger draw where the turkeys like to work up and down. And that draw was going to provide us the cover that we needed to get from this higher elevation to the lower elevation inside the draw. And then we could use the draw and use that road and the draw to walk up and get within 100 to 125 yards of these turkeys. So we drop off into that small draw. We walk down into the big draw. We get onto the road that runs up the draw towards the turkeys. And after passing I don't know, four or five cows and two or three calves were walking up this road and we got stopped. We got stopped by what I believe is the biggest bull I have ever seen in my entire life. This joker was huge standing in the middle of the road that we're walking on between us and the turkeys, of course, staring at us at about... 40 yards. We had a standoff with this bull for about five minutes. The first five minutes, I thought there's an extremely high probability that that bull is about to come after us. But as we stood there and Brian and I were talking, you could kind of tell that the bull was relaxing a little bit and just becoming more calm with us being there. He'd obviously had never seen us before, but he sees Travis all the time, and I think that the bull was just kind of putting two and two together there that we were not out there to try to mess with his cows or mess with him, and you could just tell he was relaxing a little bit. So I said to Brian, we have got to get around this bull, but I don't know how. I said, let's try to go down to the creek and walk along the edge of the creek. We'll be down below the bull and maybe we can get down below him there and get around him. And best case, it may push him uphill towards where his cows went. Worst case, that joker comes down the hill after us. And Brian says to me, well, if he charges, what are you going to do? I said, I'm running down this hill towards the creek. There's no way I'm running uphill. And Brian says, okay, I'm following you. So we start down the hill towards the creek. We're down below the bull. And the bull finally decides that he's had enough of us. And he just kind of, I'm not even going to say trots, but he just kind of moseys on off up the hill towards where his cows went. And we go back up the hill and we get on the road and we continue on towards the turkeys. So we walk probably 150 yards up this road. We come around a little curve in the road. And Brian says, there are the turkeys right there. So I look, and at about 150 yards from us, we see both gobblers strutting and the hen out in front of them. And we see another hen that's actually closer to us and headed our direction. 
and it was at that point in time when I said, now would be a good time to record the rest of this hunt. So I pulled out my phone, I pressed record on my recorder, I took the fan off of my neck, I handed it to Brian, and I said, put this fan in front of your face and walk towards those turkeys. And after we get about 15 or 20 yards up the road towards them, we probably need to get down and start crawling to them. Well, Brian moans and groans. Oh, I don't want to have to crawl up there to them. I'm like, look, we've got to stay low. We've got to keep this fan between us and them. We can't expose our bodies all the way between us and them. There's nothing between us but air, 150 yards of air. So Brian has the fan in front of his face, and he starts walking up the road towards the turkeys. And I'm going to play the audio from the hunt, and I'm going to narrate as we go. Now, just to go ahead and kind of preface the story, he and I, even though we're a long way from the turkeys, are whispering. So some of the audio may be a little quiet, but I am going to amplify it so that hopefully it'll make it loud enough for you guys who may be driving to hear. But if it's not, you may have to pause it and listen to it when you get to your destination so you don't have any road noise to contend with. But here we go. I hope you enjoy it. Now, all the shuffling sound that you hear in this audio is from Brian and I walking towards the turkeys. And remember, Brian's got the fan in front of his face, so we're walking straight to these turkeys trying to stay as low to the ground as possible, which basically means we're duck walking towards the turkeys. And we'll take five to seven steps, we'll stop, move the fan a little bit just to give it some life, and kind of reassess our situation to decide what our next move is going to be. So that's what's happening throughout the audio that you're listening to up to a certain point. And you'll know when we get to that point. In case you didn't hear that, Brian just asked five more, as in five more steps, and I said five more.
Uh, I won't put the glasses on them, but I don't think so. I think they're both tongs. They look like they have full hands. One on the left has a full hand. And the one on the right has been full strut the whole time, I can't imagine. Move that thing just a hair to the right. Stop. Those big turkeys, I think there's either a hen or a jake back behind them. Mm -hmm. Hang on, don't go yet. Must be a hen with them. There's a hen to the left and another turkey behind them. So there's two, looks like two hens. Yeah. At least two hens with them. Yeah. in the shade, wasn't it? Yeah. So every time that we take a few steps closer to that turkey, you got to remember, Brian has the fan in front of him in one hand. He's got a shotgun in the other hand. I'm back behind him. I mean, as close as I can be behind him without getting a piggyback ride from him. And after we take a few steps and we stop, I'm pulling my binoculars up and I'm looking at the birds just to kind of see what kind of reaction we're getting from them. Brian doesn't have that luxury. He's relying on me to give him a play-by-play -play on what's going on with the turkeys as we're walking up there to them. And fortunately for us, Brian's in the state of mind to move very quickly. He wants to get up there to those turkeys right away. So we're taking a few steps, we're looking, and he's asking, are you ready? And so then we're going from there. Take a few steps and we stop. I'll look and he'll say, are you ready? And we'll go a few more steps. And so that's kind of where we are at this point. She's going to go the same way that other hand went along the fence line. So we've already had one hen come past us to our left and up the hill from where we are. She's more towards the top of the draw and we're in the bottom of the draw. So we've already had that one hen come past us and she's going away from 
the two gobblers that are strutting for the one hen. There is a second hen between those three birds and us. And that's the hen, when you hear me say she's coming towards us, that's the hen that's coming towards us. And she's coming from our right to our left, going kind of in the same direction that the very first hen that walked past us went. And so we're trying to be careful not to spook her so that she doesn't turn and run right back to the three birds that are in that fallow field. And now you're about to hear me get on to Brian. I think it was the first time of two times that I got onto him while we're making this walk up towards the gobblers. Moving around way too much. as they are to the left and when she's in front of them to the left. Where are your gloves? Do what? Where are your gloves? Mm. Didn't put them on. Yeah, it's a good time to put them on. Okay, maybe that was the first of three times that I got onto Brian because I forgot about this one. <laughs> so he doesn't have his gloves on and he's holding this fan with his bare hand as we're walking towards these turkeys. But he's continuing to ask me where the hens are, where are the hens, where are they going, where's this hen that's between us and the three birds out in that fallow field. Gobblers are going to be committed.
One of them's puffed back up, the other one's just sitting there, just standing there. I wonder if because the other hand was further up the hill, I wonder if they're just moving closer now. Well, yeah, both of them in the foot. There you go. You want me to help at them? So as we're walking towards these turkeys, when we stop, Brian is holding that fan in front of his face and he'll look down, I guess, to see where he's stepping. I don't know, but he'll look down and when he does, he pulls the fan down with him. And so when he pulls the fan down, keeping the fan in front of his face, he's just moving his face downward. When he does that, it leaves me exposed back behind him. And so you're about to hear me get on to Brian for the third time. Tables in the truck, and it gets spot for it. Here I come. Unpacked, 
Okay, so at this point, we know that the gobblers see us. And after we take a few steps and we stop and we sit there, Brian's just holding the fan in front of him. He's not giving it any movement or motion at all. So I said to him, a little slow pivot to the right. A little slow pivot back to the left. Oh, that's sexy right there, Brian. Ooh, that's challenging. When Brian would move that fan and give it some motion and some life, those two gobblers would gobble. We're starting to get response out of them, but we are not yet in what they feel like is their personal space. Think back to when you were young and some other guy would get up in your face and, you know, that's just your personal space. You want them out of it. You're going to do whatever you can to get them out of it, whether that's take a step back or just haul off and knock them out of your space. We have not yet gotten into the personal space of those gobblers yet. Shoot, you move to the left. Go to the left? Go to your left. I'm going to come to your right. Mm -hmm. And you shoot the bird on the left, whichever one that is. There you go. What do you mean, stand up? No. I can't see him. How far are they? 
shooting the left. We start to move up that hill here to let you know so I get my gun on the other side of it. It sounds like they're coming, doesn't it? Gobble like they're coming. That little half gobble that you hear is a third male turkey that has just started gobbling. And he's probably 200 yards away from these two longbeards. After we finally get the glasses on him and get to see him, we can tell it's a Jake. And he starts gobbling in response to the two longbeards that are in front of us gobbling, which seem to confuse them a little bit.
There's a new spot in the Remember I told you that there's a creek that runs through the middle of this draw that we're walking in. And these two gobblers are up at the top of this draw in a fallow field that's on the other side of the creek from the road that we're on. And I just said to Brian that I thought that the creek may be our problem with those two birds. But really and truly what our problem was with those two birds is that Jake gobbling up on the hill on the other side of them because that Jake has gotten them distracted. Now the turkeys feel a challenge from Brian holding that fan and they hear a gobble on the other side of them and they're not real sure what they need to do first. And so they start to move off towards the Jake a little bit. When they do, the hen that was with them actually starts moving closer to me and Brian. And that's when things really started to turn in our favor. I don't have any doubt that they'll cross it. It's just where they're going to cross it to get in the fight. Want me to yell again?
two more minutes to make a move. That's a leap up to it. At this point, 
The two gobblers are still in the fallow field, but they've moved behind a tree that's probably 15 feet tall, and they're standing behind that tree, and they've actually moved towards that Jake that was gobbling. So at this stage, we don't know if the turkeys are going to move towards that Jake or if they're going to come back our direction. All we can do now is wait. And all of that shuffling sound was our last move, our last advance towards those turkeys. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. 
To the left of the trees, the strutter, the strutter's right behind it. So he needs to get where he can see us. See how close we are to the hill. So, just sit tight for a minute. walking down towards down into the draw. Yeah. So let's see what happens. His body's moving our direction, so is he. Right now we have zero doubt that the turkeys can see us and with that last move we have now gotten into their personal space. The hen that was with them has fed down and she's now in the same road that we're on but she's on the other side of the creek from us and these two birds feel like Brian holding that fan is a little too close to their lady. So let's listen in from here. Yep, here they come. 
There are two obstacles between us and the turkeys. One is the creek, the little ditch that runs through the draw. The other is a four-strand barbed wire fence that Travis has put up to keep the cows out of his ag field. Those are our two obstacles. The fence is about 40 yards. The ditch or the creek is at about, I would say, 55 yards, 60 yards, something like that. The turkeys at this point are about 75 yards from us. Oh, you mean the fence to the left? Okay, yeah, I think it's about 40 yards, don't you? But they're moving to our left, aren't they?
from Turkey Morgan. Holy cow, man. That was awesome. Let me come over there. So let me fill the gaps in for you on what just happened. Those two longbeards walked out of the fallow field across the creek or the ditch underneath the barbed wire fence, which was about 40 yards from us, kept walking towards us. The bird on the right is the bird that I'm shooting. That's the bird that has pretty much been in full strut the whole time that we've seen him. The bird on the left is the one that Brian is going to shoot. When those birds got to about 30 yards, the bird on the left got very nervous and he stopped walking and he stuck his head straight up in the air, very alert. And that's when I told Brian, your bird's very nervous, you need to shoot him. So Brian clicks his safety off and the plan is, and we've talked about it three times to that point, for Brian to shoot the bird on the left and move to his left after he shoots so that I can possibly get a shot to his right at the bird on the right. Well, these two birds had actually spread out just enough. And where they were standing, there's a sharp little drop-off. And when I say little, it's only about three feet. But the road drops off about three feet, goes across that creek, and then back up on the other side. When I tell Brian that his bird's getting nervous, he needs to shoot, he clicks the safety off, he shoots, Brian moves to the left, my bird takes off running to my right, and I jumped up, I took about three steps, and when I could see that bird after he dropped off into that creek, I could just see his head as he was about to round the curve in the road and go behind some brush, and I just shot and rolled him, and he started flopping. I obviously didn't hit him very good, but I hit him well enough, and he's flopping like crazy, flopping three or four five feet up in the air. And of course, just like they always do, he flops and flops and flops until he ends up in the ditch in the water. My bird is down. I'm working to get over there to him without breaking my ankle on one of the rocks in the ditch or slipping and falling on the moss that's growing on the rocks in the ditch and trying to make sure that my bird does not get up and run off all at the same time. So after I get over to where my turkey is in the ditch, I get over to him, and I'm standing there and making sure that he's not going to go anywhere. I look up and look around, and I see Brian walking around near where he shot his turkey. And that's never a good sign. And Brian says to me, when I shot, my bird went straight up and came straight back down. He's over here somewhere. Come help me look for him. Brian was convinced that his turkey was dead. After going back to the point where we were when we shot, and in looking where Brian's turkey was standing when he shot at it, I just don't see how he hit that turkey. From where Brian said the turkey was standing, the wadding from Brian's shotgun shell was about four feet behind where that turkey was. I don't know how he could have hit him, and I sure didn't see any sign that he had hit him. But we looked for that turkey for a solid hour 
after he shot, trying to find him, and we just could not find him anywhere. I don't think Brian hit him, but Brian still, to this point, thinks that he killed that turkey, that that turkey was hit and ran up into some of the brush along the draw and died. And it's possible because the brush in that draw is so thick that you can't see in places even five feet in front of you. And everything in that draw, every bush in that draw has thorns on it. It is a brutal place to walk around and look for a turkey. But we did, and we did the best that we could. We could not find that turkey anywhere. So after I killed my bird and Brian missed his, we took the turkey back to the truck, put the turkey in the truck, and we went back to the cabin to fix lunch and to give Travis's place a chance to rest and to put together a game plan for our afternoon hunt. And the game plan was this. I was going to drop Brian off at Travis's and let him go sit in the fallow field where those two gobblers were that we fanned in to us. And Brian could sit there until dark when the turkeys came up out of that draw to roost in the trees behind him. And hopefully Brian could get a shot at the longbeard as he came back in there to go to roost. And I was going to go sit on the side of the road in the truck and glass a different farm that Travis had given us permission to hunt. Travis had given us permission to hunt about 2,000 acres total of land. We had almost 1,000 there where his house was, and then a combination of about four other farms that would be about another 1,000 or 1,200 acres, something like that. So that's what we did. After lunch, we went back out. I dropped Brian off at Travis's. He went down to the fallow field, and I continued up the mountain to one of the other farms that Travis had given us permission to hunt. And I sat in the truck and did a little bit of work and glassed the fields. The plan was that if I saw some turkeys in these fields, I would drive down to Travis's and honk the horn until Brian came out to the truck. Well, that never happened. I did see some turkeys, but they were actually on a neighboring farm that we did not have permission to hunt. In fact, what's really cool is that Travis actually called that neighbor for us while we were staying there in his driveway. He called that neighbor and he said, hey, I've got some guys here from Alabama who are turkey hunting. Do you mind if they hunt your farm? And his neighbor said, oh, you know, normally I wouldn't have an issue at all with it, but my brother-in-law is actually on his way up here right now to hunt for the next seven days. So I've got to let him have the run of our place. So we didn't get permission to hunt that place. And of course, that's where I saw the turkeys. One long beard in full strut for about, oh, a solid hour, hour and 15 minutes with one hen and about five jakes just strutting around in the pasture about 200 yards from the property line. Well, when Brian got on to Travis's place, he walked into that fallow field and he sat down and he said he hadn't been sitting there 10 minutes and he heard a turkey gobble off to the west. And Brian was able to work around and get closer to the bird. And finally, he said he got to where he felt like he was in a pretty good spot. And he looked up. He said the turkey's standing out there at about 100 yards. And he holds the fan up. And he said that that turkey looked at that fan and turned around 
and walked off that he didn't want anything to do with that fan. Now, I don't know if it was the same Tom that Brian had shot at and missed, or if it was another Tom that had just been getting beaten up by the one that I killed, which was the strutter out of those two birds that we fanned in earlier in the day. But that turkey didn't want anything to do with Brian. While I'm sitting on the hill glassing the other farm that Travis gave us permission to hunt, my phone rings, and it's Chip. And Chip and John had both killed. So now three of us have birds down in Oregon, and we just need Brian to seal the deal. It's Thursday afternoon. Brian is flying out from Spokane, Washington, which is about a three-hour drive from where we are at 1 o'clock Friday afternoon. At best, if Brian doesn't kill a turkey Thursday afternoon, Brian has maybe two and a half or three hours to hunt Friday morning. Just before dark, I drive down to Travis's farm and wait for Brian. And about 30 minutes later, Brian comes up. No turkey. Not only no turkey, but the one turkey that he saw that was a shooter, he had chased off of the property. So he saw nothing and heard nothing fly up. I saw nothing and heard nothing fly up because I left to go pick him up. And I don't know if the birds that I was watching flew up on the farm that we had permission to hunt or if they flew up on the farm that we did not have permission to hunt, which is really what I was expecting was going to happen. I really did not think those turkeys I was watching through my binoculars were going to come onto the farm that we had permission to hunt and fly up there. I was pretty sure they were going to fly up on the neighbor's farm. So I picked up Brian We went back down to the cabin, ate dinner, discussed a game plan for Friday morning, and the game plan consisted of this. Chip, John, and Brian were going to pack their things up early Friday morning, and all three of them were going to take the vehicle to Spokane, and all three of them were going home. Brian was through hunting, and Chip and John, because they had tagged out, decided that it would be wise for them to go on and get home early. So they paid the fee to move their flight up a day. And that left me in Oregon by myself. Not a big deal. I don't have a problem hunting by myself. And I don't have a problem being in a new place by myself either. So that was the plan. I was just a little disappointed that Brian did not want to go out and at least for two to three hours try to get on a bird and get Oregon marked off the list. But he didn't. And now we have to go back to Oregon for one bird. Not a big deal because when we hit Northern California to mark California off the list, we can just tootle right on up and get Brian a bird in Oregon. Should be easy breezy. Hopefully have it done in one day and then zip on over to Nevada, assuming we get tags for Nevada and see if we can make it happen. Now I'm going to tell you that The rest of my hunt in Oregon after Brian and Chip and John left consisted of a term I like to use after going and hunting in Ohio a few years ago, where the guide that we hunted with, after we had all killed our bird in Ohio, he used the term a gentleman's hunt, which means we're going to go out into the woods really on just a very short nature walk. It's not really turkey hunting. The reason that he did that in Ohio is because he didn't want to even try 
to do the work to get four more birds in a day. He didn't even want to work to try to get one more bird in a day. And that was kind of my attitude about Oregon <laughs> after I killed my bird there. Friday morning, I went and hunted Travis's place. I didn't hunt very hard. I got on a bird and tried to use the fan on him and pushed him away. It probably was the same bird that Brian messed with Thursday afternoon. But again, I didn't really care. It was a very relaxed hunt for me. I just didn't even bother trying to kill another bird. Instead, I enjoyed a leisurely day out on the countryside in Oregon, looking at some beautiful terrain, some beautiful farms and barns, and just had a heck of a good time. So, hey, one thing that was awesome was that Friday, I took all of the turkeys that we had shot in Oregon, along with a lot of the leftover food that we had in the refrigerator. I took all that over to Travis's house and put that in his deep freeze, like he instructed me to do earlier. And he also told me that there were some elk steaks in there and to grab a package of those. And of course, when someone offers you elk steaks, you don't say no. So I grabbed a package of elk steaks and for dinner Friday night, I had a nice glass of Buffalo Trace on the rocks, elk steaks, and elk steaks. Oh yeah, I did have a little bit of salad too. And it was really more for garnish than anything else. But I had a heck of a dinner Friday night. I had a heck of a trip. It was just a great time from the first day we rolled into Washington to the last day when I rolled out of Oregon. Just beginning to end an awesome trip. As a group, we had 11 turkeys down in what ended up being six days of hunting. I didn't think that was too bad even though I wish we could have gotten one more turkey. I wish Brian could have gotten his turkey. But regardless, here we are. Season's over. No more stories out of me. And it's time to start focusing on 2019. And we've already got our plans laid out for going to Vermont and New York. So we're all looking forward to that trip. I've got to start getting some of these northeastern states marked off my list because I have none of them marked off yet. I have not killed a turkey north of the Mason-Dixon line, and I've got to change that in a hurry. So that is it for this week's show. Hey, before I cut you loose, though, if you'd do me a favor this week, and if you would share this week's episode with a hunting buddy via the share feature in your podcast player application, and just share it via text message, which will actually text the link to the show to your hunting buddy, I would be very appreciative if you would do that. In fact, if you want to send it to two hunting buddies, I'd be twice as appreciative. And that is all. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. 
We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.